0: Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges. If you're looking at Judges chapter 13, uh, a few verses from there and chapter 14 today. And I should start by uh, saying thanks for bearing with me uh, last week. I, I hope everybody had a chance to read the uh, Creek Week uh, weekly email or at least the first uh, paragraph or so to get, to get that important missing piece of information from my sermon introduction last week. Where was patience while all of these things were going on and I was looking for her? If you didn't get a chance to read it, I'll fill in the blanks uh, now. She was uh, she was delayed on a bus by that Metrolink station where I was searching for her diligently. A homeless person had uh, uh, caused a disturbance there and the police would not let her off of the, the vehicle to get back to our apartment. So that's where she was. We can all... Breathe a little sigh of relief now that we got the rest of the information from last week's sermon, which was sort of crucial to the whole story. But uh, you were gracious with me. Uh, The blank looks on your face sort of gave it away, but I didn't I didn't catch on in process. Uh, I liked how some of the some of the folks in our church responded to that missing information. I heard a few life groups on Sunday had a little game out of it. You know, let, let's figure out who can guess what was the where was patience? Where was she that she couldn't be back at the apartment and, and Chris couldn't find her? And uh, and then texting me uh, during our life group so that I could give you the info and give out little prizes to the people who guessed the closest. And in fact, you know, it stirred up so much conversation that I thought, you know, maybe I need to just leave a piece of information out of every sermon. And and, and I don't think the conversation really related to the point of the sermon, but at least to get people talking, right? Get people conversing. Sort of a uh, uh, where's Waldo meets homiletics, you know, kind of merge those two things together. Let's see what fact Chris uh, left out. Uh, Appreciate y'all being gracious with me. This Sunday, uh, we really hardly need any introduction for the sermon. As we take a look and begin this week and next week looking at everybody's uh, favorite long-haired Bible bad boy, Samson. Uh, we are going to examine and look at his life and some of the lessons that we can learn from that, ultimately see how God is at work in the midst of all the crazy things that happen with Samson. And, and as we do, uh, we really will be coming into then, uh, starting on April 6th, we'll have two more weeks left in our series in Judges, and then we'll be coming right up into to Easter, and then afterwards we'll have this uh, exciting time of four, four weeks beginning the end of April in our Forward by Faith uh, series. So that's where we're headed in the next uh, month or so. Today, as we read these uh, verses, and I'll just be reading some of them from 13 and then most of chapter 14, uh, what I'd love for us to look at. So this is your little prep time, your little lenses to put on. What can we learn from the misguided way that Samson leads his life? That's the first thing. How is this ultimately Trumped, overridden, overcome by God's sovereign purpose, nonetheless, in Samson's life. And how does all of this ultimately point to Jesus and the work of Jesus in your life and in mine? I invite you to read along with me as I read aloud, starting in Judges chapter 13, uh, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful to drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And jump down to verse 24 with me of chapter 13. It says, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The young man grew and. The Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah. At Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards at Timnah, and behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out with his hand and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me. 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn and burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father and mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days the feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Verse 19, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife, was given to his companion who had been his best man. Let's pray. Father, teach us the things that you would have us to learn from Samson's various wanderings as they relate to our wanderings and propensity to wander away from you. And Father, in the midst of this, Teach us and show us your hand upon your people, even in those places where we are wandering away. How you, Lord, choose to draw straight lines, even with crooked sticks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my favorite comedy movies, and our poor church officers have had to endure this one on one of our uh, leadership retreats, is the uh, classic of Western uh, cinema, *Nacho Libre*. Maybe you've seen this one. Uh, it's an entertaining little flick about Nacho, played by uh, Jack Black, the actor Jack Black, and he's a, a monk who's living in a monastery. And he has sort of a imitation, a very poor imitation uh, Hispanic accent. Although Nacho appears to be a man of the cloth, a holy man, he's got a secret ambition and actually a secret ability. That of participating in a sort of Mexican WWF, if you haven't seen it, a wrestling competition. And it's kind of a sort of Hulk Hogan with a halo theme, if you will. The Nacho Libre movie. Well, he's uh, conflicted, Nacho is, between these two lives that he has. This one life as a holy man, a man of God, and this other one as this person of strength. Attempting to fight in the WWF rings and it's it's a humorous story as he recruits a street bum who uh, doesn't appear to have any educational background, but declares that he's an atheist because he believes in science. It's a fascinating movie and entertaining and so forth to watch Nacho go about his conflicts. But as we think about our hero in the story today, there's nothing humorous about the conflict between Samson's two identities. Been called of God, even gifted and established from birth to be this certain type of person for God and for God's purposes. And yet he's obviously living not only a secret life, but a a life that's kind of totally off track from what God has for him to do. And yet amazingly, right in the midst of that, we see God drawing a straight line with the crooked stick of Samson. And it's a good reminder for us, a great encouragement for us that God can do the same with your life and with mine, even in the midst of our many wanderings. If you want to jot down a main idea in the sermon note section in the back of your worship guide, you you can. I'm sorry, it's kind of long and it's not, yet, it's not already written there like I usually have it. it It's just this, that that we can trust God is working out His plan. We can trust God is working out His plan in spite of the failure of His people. In spite of the failure of His people to use the strength He gives in the way He calls us to. We trust God's working out His plan and bringing about His ways in spite of the fact that We as his people don't use the strength he provides in the way that he calls us to. Let's take a look at at Samson. and, And it actually helps to zoom ahead to the end of the story. Not the story right here in Judges, but the end of the story towards the latter part of the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, you don't need to turn there. But interestingly enough, Samson is one of the very few people listed among the heroes of the faith in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look a little bit uh, next week, as we look at chapters 15 and 16, a little bit more about why that's the case. Today, we'll just begin to to see the reality that God's sovereign over Samson's life. Later on, we'll see specifically why he's listed there. But at the very least, that tells me we ought to take a close look at who Samson is. It'd be easy to kind of dismiss him, even the weird stuff we just read about Lion carcasses and riddles and honey and so forth. You know, what is this story? And yet the scriptures clearly say there's something really important to be learned ultimately from Samson. So let's take a look at a couple of those things. The first thing we see is uh, is Samson's birth. And it's interesting. Did you almost feel like we were about to head into Christmas, you know, have some Christmas carols start, start singing? Because if you look with me back at at chapter 13, verses one through five, it even says at the end of verse three, behold, you're barren. You have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Sounds almost like that angel talking to Mary, doesn't it? In the beginning of the Gospels this parallel that's laid out throughout the scriptures. It's the case with Isaac. It's the case with the birth of Samuel. It's the case of the birth with John the Baptist, that God's bringing about this work that can't be done in any other way. This person is coming into the world for God's purposes. So, so whereas we might read the stuff we just read chapter 14 and think, whoo, Lord, you kind of botched it on this one. This guy doesn't even really belong on planet earth. Here we see God has a specific purpose. God's Purposefully bringing Samson into the world. And in the midst of that, he's showing strength, not just the strength that Samson has, but strength to overcome this barrenness, in, especially in that ancient world. That was a, a sign of, uh, for a woman uh, presented a struggle of feeling weak and, and uh, some shame perhaps attached to that. And, and that God says, I'm going I'm to give you this strength of allowing you to have a child. So we see God at work there in the special work of Samson's birth. And then we see this interesting status that Samson has as well. And you don't need to turn back to Numbers 6, but if you want to jot down that passage and read it another time, you can. Uh, number 6 talks about this idea of a Nazarite vow, a Nazarite commitment. And, and I would compare it maybe because there was a certain time period that people typically committed to it, and there were specific actions that were taken voluntarily for it. And so it's a little bit like maybe one of us here choosing to have some time of fasting and prayer set aside for, for whatever purpose. Maybe you've got a big decision in your life. Uh, maybe there's some things you're really struggling with, your relationship with the Lord or other places in life. And you, and you say, OK, I'm going to take these several days. I'm going to fast. I know that's going to humble me. It's going to allow me to draw closer to the Lord. It's, it's something I choose to do. And it's going to be for a defined time for two days or four days or whatever you would choose. That's kind of what this Nazarite vow typically was. But do you notice anything that's different right off the bat about Samson's Nazarite vow? Does he choose it? No. God's telling his mother that even before she's born... For her to obey some of the stipulations about not uh, eating anything unclean and not consuming any hard uh, drink type of alcohol. This was just a it's not a prohibition against alcohol across the board. But it's just saying, hey, in this case, set aside for this purpose. But God's telling his mother to do this before he's even born. So it's not a voluntary thing. It's something that God directs him into. And then it's it's indefinite. Right. It's for his whole life. There's not a set period that it's for. And then we have this interesting element, which is probably the most familiar thing for us, that Samson is also told to sort of be marked on the outside in a visible way that he's doing this. And what is it? he let his hair grow down long. Reminds me of the uh, story, maybe you've heard it, of the uh, young man that had uh, just turned 16 and was uh, looking, uh, now that he'd gotten his driver's license to get a car from dear old dad, And he came to to dad and said, dad, I'd I'd like to get a a, a vehicle. And his dad said, well, I'd love for that to happen. But here's the deal. I I need to see those grades get up. The the B's and C's need to move into the A category. I really want to see you kind of reading the Bible and starting to draw closer to the Lord that way. I'm not necessarily seeing that in your life. And then, yeah, uh, by the way, your extremely long, shaggy hair, I want to see that get cut as well. Well, a couple of weeks went by and the, the boy came back to the, the father and and the father, you know, said, OK, well, what, what you got going on? The son said, well, here's the situation. Dad says, yeah, I, I see that you've uh, you've done a lot better with the schoolwork. Got the report card back. Grades are up. I've noticed that you've been reading through the Bible lately. And that's that's fantastic. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. But but what's up? You know, you still got the, the hair It's even longer than it was last time. Well, the boy had kind of planned ahead for this moment, thought he was going to get the edge on, on Dad. He said, Dad, you know, I, I have been reading the Bible like you encouraged me to. And, and I noticed that a lot of the guys in the Bible, Samson, had long hair. Moses, if we read, had long hair. Looked like John the Baptist was pretty scraggly. Dad, maybe even Jesus had some long hair. There's a case that can be made for that. Now, for a moment, the dad was put back on his heels And he responded and said, uh, son, yeah, I I see what you're saying. But did you notice all of those guys walked everywhere they went? (laughs) Samson takes this vow. He's given this vow of the Nazarite uh, commitment that that he's basically given from birth. And what we're going to see is how he handles that. And, and I think one of the applications for us is to think about how do we handle the calling that we've been given, the new identity. If you're here today, you put your trust in Christ, Holy Spirit has worked in you, changed your heart to a place where you recognize and receive what Jesus has done, seeking to surrender your life to him. Then you've got a new identity. You're a new person. You have a new calling that God has given to you. Let's see how that plays out for Samson and think about what it means for our lives Let's take a look at Samson's strength. Tells us at the very end of chapter 13 in those verses that the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Okay, so somehow this is all from God. And then it describes what's taking place as we look at chapter 14. And uh, I, I don't know the geography of Israel well enough, so I had to read about that this week. But this place, Timnah, it's interesting. It's not located on some fringe edge of the border of Israel between where the Philistines are, this place is deep inside the Israelite territory. And if you read the passages, you notice Samson's kind of coming and going from among the Philistines. There's not even any differentiation anymore between them. And and I think it helps us understand, you can read this again on your own time, but why the book of Judges includes This information in chapter 10 that we saw a couple weeks back, where it describes this cycle again that the people go through of turning to God, God sending a rescuer, then they turn away, then they are oppressed by these outside enemies and then they turn back to God and cry out for a rescuer. It repeated that for us in in chapter 10 in a very clear way. Did you notice verse one and two of chapter 13 that starts this section? The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. What's missing? There's no crying out to God. There's no saying, God, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. Change this for us. Send us a rescuer. Now, God's gracious, so he goes and sends Samson anyway. But the The people of God are kind of in the background in this passage. And all the crazy stuff Samson does, we could probably miss what's going on with them. They've become completely comfortable with the fact that they're engulfed in this Philistine culture. They're not distinct. They're not set apart. It even tells us here in verse 4 that his father and mother, this is chapter 14 I'm in again, his father and mother did not know that this thing was from the Lord. Samson's going to marry a woman. It's not about a, a, an interracial marriage. The issue is an interfaith. He's going to marry somebody outside of the faith of the people of God. And in general, the, the word of the Lord you know, encourages us being connected, equally yoked with those of, uh, of, of similar faith and conviction. So that has happened. And the parents are concerned about this. But it says, actually, God was seeking. Through Samson, in the midst of this, you know, crooked stick, God's going to draw a straight line. He's seeking to actually create some conflict because they've become so comfortable, so at ease with the way it is. Isn't that the thing that we sometimes need in our lives, too? It's like the old story of the frog in the kettle. You all have heard it before. You know, that boiling pot of water, if you get it up hot and boiling first, Before you're going to throw that frog in there and, you know, watch an episode of Duck Dynasty and you'll see, you know, kind of a little bit of this. They like the frogs. But reportedly, then, if you throw that frog in there, what's going to happen immediately? Senses the hot water, jumps right out. Something's different. I'm out of there. But put that frog in that boiling pot, that pot of water while it's cool. And then just slowly, gradually begin to turn up the water. A frog never realizes that it's being boiled in its own bathtub. Never jumps out because there's no distinction. It's a reminder for us that for the church, for the people of God, and it's in the background in this passage, I'll admit, for the church and the people of God, there's always got to be something distinctive from who we are and the world around us. We should not be surprised if we feel some agitation between what we believe and the things we hold to in the Scriptures and the way we're trying to live our life. And the way the rest of the world that doesn't know Christ is living. That's the way it should be. And in fact, when there's not that tension, when there's not some kind of a sense of conflict between the two, something's off track. Well, we see how Samson uses his strength here. We'll come back to a couple of these verses. You get into this riddle section. Did you follow along with the riddle situation? (laughs) Samson's just kind of an interesting character, killing things one second, kind of Winnie the Pooh meets Duck Dynasty another minute, and you're grabbing this honey out of the thing. And then, you know, all of a sudden he wants to, uh, you know, he wants to go do a riddle game with the folks that are, I guess, coming to his wedding party over some garments that he needs 30 changes of clothes. He likes to have a big wardrobe. He's got a walk-in closet. I don't quite get it. At any rate, the idea is, that he's in this conflict with them and and see what happens with his strength in the very last verses of 13 and then we'll come back to the whole lion situation. Do you see what he does in verse 19 and 20? He ends up killing some folks. But why does he kill them? In his mind, why is he killing them? He's killing them to get some clothes from them to pay off a gambling debt. Right? That's what he's doing. This is the guy that the Spirit of God is upon in power and in strength, God's going to draw a straight line with a crooked stick for sure. Well, Samson's status, Samson's strength. Let's talk about Samson's secrets for a minute. Look with me at verses 5 through 9, I guess it is, in chapter 14. So Samson went with his father and mother to Timnah, They came to these vineyards, behold, a young lion comes out, he kills the lion. And then presumably, I guess his parents had maybe wandered ahead or were off somewhere else because it says he doesn't tell them about this. You know, I guess no big deal on the surface, but 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 watch as we go on down further. He then comes back by sometime later, and this is a a dead animal carcass. This is roadkill, but he's got some honey inside (laughs) That honey looks good to Samson. And and we start to see here again this f- f- you know, fullness of the picture with Samson. He's kind of the opposite of what we saw uh, last week with Jephthah feeling like he's got this rigid law and vow with God and he's got to offer up a, a human sacrifice even though he knows that sacrifice is wrong. He's obeying the law to try to get something from God. He's the legalist. He's the Pharisee, if you will. On the flip side, we have Samson. He's the quintessential sensual guy. And what I mean by that is he's overcome by sensory engagement, whatever it is. Oh, I got power. Go fight some people. Take those garments. Oh, there's a gal. Mom and dad give that woman to me for my wife. Oh, there's some honey. Go get the honey. What's the problem with this? Well, he's starting to lead a secret life. He's starting to have things in his life that other people don't know about and that he wants to keep shielded. He even says later when we read the section, the the uh, you know opposing forces are trying to get his wife to get this information out. I'm sort sure of a precursor of the whole Delilah situation. But we see in there that he hasn't told his parents about this riddle either. And it's just a reminder for, for us, for me as I read it, that part of what happens when we're sort of wandering away from the Lord is we start to have secrets. And I'm not saying that everything in our lives, need, everybody around us need to be aware of. That's probably not a good thing either. But at the very least, we ought to be honest and open with the Lord. That's why we do this confession time each week that we have kind of mapped into our worship service. It's meant to be kind of a priming of the pump for a whole week of more honesty and more openness, at least with God. At least not having secrets with him as best we can. And maybe, too, there's a reminder in here that in those areas of our life where we struggle, and I've got a list of them here, but I'm not even going to read through them because we we probably know what they are for each one of us in those areas where we struggle, that the best thing we can do is be honest at least with God about those things and maybe with others around us. The Gospel brings those things to light and brings hidden things out of the darkness. We see Samson. He's starting to to wander into this darkness of having a little bit of a secret life. All right, the last part of this, and it ties together with this carcass Okay, what, what's going on with the, the carcass and Samson going to get honey from it? Well, this is an unclean thing. Remember the Nazarite vow, Samson's status? This is the thing he's not supposed to do. You're not supposed to touch a dead body. You're not supposed to come near it. And yet Samson, he just, he's willing to throw away this lifelong vow that he's got, the Nazarite vow, just to get a little something to eat. Because he's just consumed with whatever his latest desire is. He's a guy that, that can't seem to step back and evaluate what he's feeling motivated to do before he then does it. He doesn't have that grid. And we, too, have those places in our lives, don't we? Where the grid, maybe it's there, but it starts to fade back into the back of our memory. The last thing I want us to look at. And especially as we think about this idea that this amazing truth that, hey, Samson's going way off track and we've got a lot of things to learn from him about how we ought not to be. But the craziest thing about all of this is God's still achieving and going to achieve his purpose through Samson. Samson's parents must have been pretty disappointed. Never think about how they felt. They looked to be some of the very first truly conscientious and intelligent parents. They've apparently read Shepherding a Child's Heart. They've been to some Dobson seminars. They've done, you name it, they have thought about how to parent or they are getting information where they can. Look with me back, and we did not read this uh, today just for sake of time, but chapter 13, verse 8, this guy Manoah. What does he do when he hears from his wife that this baby's coming? It says he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent Come again and teach us what we are to do with this child who will be born. Verse 12. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the manner of this child's life? And what is his mission? We see in the beginning of chapter 14. They're deeply concerned with what he's doing when he's going outside of the people of the faith to pursue this marriage relationship. They are doing a lot of what they're supposed to be doing as parents. Imagine how they felt. Just imagine when the very first thing and some of us in in here who are parents have probably had these kind of experiences, maybe some real painful ones. Imagine him coming out of the gate. His first thing he's going to go do when he goes down to Timnah. What is he supposed to do down there? He's Supposed to kill a bunch of Philistines. (laughs) He's supposed to wipe out a bunch of Philistines. What does he come back and say? I'd like to marry one. Like to link up with them, not oppose them. Imagine how they felt hearing that news. And yet here's the amazing thing. God's still going to use Samson for his purposes. And I'm sure it didn't look like what Manoah and his wife, we never get her her name, thought it would look like or what they hoped it would look like when they prayed and said, hey, we, we want some information on how to raise this child. And uh, in all of this, we don't say to kind of dismiss our responsibility to live a certain way. The fact that God uses Samson to do some things for his purposes, you know, that doesn't mean that we sort of condone the things that he is doing. Quite the opposite. He's going to have some pretty heavy consequences from the things he's doing. Likewise, with parenting, it's important how we parent and what we try to do. But ultimately, God's the one that's at work. It's his plan, it's his purpose. Last thing, as we conclude, is that these verses uh, remind us of a couple of things for our own lives. Even though we don't follow through on the calling that we have as believers the way that we should, we can know God can draw a straight line with the crooked stick of our lives. Even though we carry around uh, secrets, things that we ought to probably bring out in the open, at least before God, Even though we fail to appropriate and use the strength that God's given us, the abilities He's given us for the things He wants us to do, we can know that God's still in the business of drawing straight lines with the crooked stick of our lives. And last but not leastly, all of this points in an incredibly majestic way to one who comes who, like Samson, has a special birth, but he lives up to his special birth Uh, Like uh, Samson, he has a special calling, but instead of running away from his calling at the first opportunity, he fulfills it completely and perfectly. Like Samson, he's got great strength, but he applies that strength for what its purpose is, to save and rescue us, his people. He reveals himself publicly rather than living in secrets and in shadows. And even at the end of his life, He honors his mother with his kind words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for the perfect way that he comes as our redeemer. Because when we look at our own lives, we see great need for rescue and forgiveness. And when we look at the life of Samson, we see... Uh, how desperately uh, we need a perfect and righteous Redeemer and how flawed uh, we are as human people to be able to bring about any kind of salvation. Father, teach us the things that you would have us to learn from your word today. And Lord, encourage us with the fact that you draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Amen.